Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady here with you today, taking your calls and texts live on the air. I want to welcome those of you who are listening up and down the front range in Colorado and into Wyoming on Grace FM. I also want to say hello to everyone who's listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. Also want to say hi to everybody who is listening online. So many of you tune in using the Grace FM app. If you haven't downloaded that to your phone yet, you should do that. And you can listen to us wherever you go. And so welcome to those of you listening online, whatever device you're listening on. We're glad that you tuned in today. Welcome to the program. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Here at the beginning of the show is always maybe the best time to call in. We always have open lines here right at the beginning of the show. So it's a great time to call in, 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Nick Cady. I am the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And I am your host here every Monday um, on Calvary Live. And it's been just a pleasure getting to do this and getting to field questions and getting to pray for people. Just an absolute blessing to me personally and, uh, and I hope to many of our listeners. So I, I am the pastor, like I said, of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We are a Calvary Chapel affiliated church here in the city of Longmont. And where we meet, for those of you who are listening who might be in the Longmont area, we meet in the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is at 700 Longs Peak Avenue. And so that's right on the corner of Kaufman and Long's Peak in downtown Longmont, just right on the north end of downtown. And we are on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park. So if you know where Roosevelt Park is in Longmont, we are right on the southeast corner, right on the corner of Kaufman and Long's Peak. And we meet in that St. Vrain Memorial Building at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And just God has been doing some great things in our fellowship. We're really excited about where we're at and the, where we're going so we'd love to have you come join us if you're in Longmont or in one of the surrounding communities uh, around Longmont. Come check us out. You can also check us out online before you come at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And on there you can hear uh, all of our old messages. You can read about news in the church and uh, things that we have going on as well as some of our vision. You can read about our school of ministry. That's something that I'm very excited about that we're doing at Whitefield. So the, any of you listening... Uh, wherever you might be, if you're near to Longmont or Colorado, you know, we have a school of ministry that we've been starting up. We, uh, we're having classes running tonight and throughout this week, and we do it in semesters. So we do three or four blocks a year. And so we're doing a school of ministry right now. So we'd love to have you go on our website and check that out and see if that might be something with which we can serve you. That's our desire. So again, our website is whitefieldschurch.com. And you can also hear me on Grace FM every weekday. We have a show that airs at 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time, 
And that's called Life in the Field. And what that represents is our desire to teach people and, and give people instruction from the Bible because we are living God's mission in his mission field. That's what it means to be a Christian. His mission field is the world, that world that he loves and sent his son to redeem and die for. And so um, we want to train people through the word of God to live his mission in, the, in his mission field. That's Life in the Field every weekday at 2.30 p.m. as well as Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So if you are late to church, if, or maybe you go to church at another time, I don't know, but I always tell our people, if you hear me in your radio and you're at 10 a.m., that means you're late for church, so you better hurry up. Let's go ahead and go to our call-in line. We've got a full line right now, so let's go to Dustin on line one. Hi, Dustin. Hi, how are you doing, Pastor? How's everything? Doing well. You calling from Baltimore, Maryland? Yes. Uh, it's pretty cold out here. We're going to get a about an inch or two of snow tomorrow, but other than that, everything's fine. Good. <laughs> All right. What's going on? <clears throat> yeah, um, with uh, the baptism of uh, Jesus, when um, John the Baptist said, Behold, um, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and plus when he was getting ready to... Um, uh, dip them underwater. He says, I'm not worthy to, you know, unlatch the shoes on you, much less. So he knew that he was the Lord. But in Luke, um, Luke 7, verses 19, it says, And John called unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Aren't thou he that... Uh, is come, or shall we look for another? Now, why would he say that when he already knew that he was the Christ? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's actually a really applicable question, so I'm glad you asked it. So, um, you're right about Jesus getting baptized. So, John recognized, you got, so, you know, let's go all the way back. Let's go back to the beginning of Luke's gospel. You know, I think this is the, I think that John's parents, Elizabeth and Zacharias, are really the two unsung heroes of Christmas. Like when I spoke on Christmas this past uh, Christmas that just happened, I spoke about um, Zacharias and Elizabeth because I feel like they get overlooked in the retelling of the Bible of the Christmas story in our culture. You know, in our culture, we always talk about we give a lot of airplay to the shepherds and the angels and Mary and Joseph, of course, and the wise men. And, you know, the fluffy sheep and the, the donkey and everything. But we always seem to leave out these characters who, in the Bible's reading of the Christmas story, are super important. And they are Elizabeth and Zach, her husband, Zacharias. Now, we know that Elizabeth was a relative, some kind of relative, probably a cousin, of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And really, the Bible portrays the Christmas story as a story of two women and two men, so two couples, and then two children. And they, it says they grew, they grew up knowing each other. You know, Zacharias most likely lived near Jerusalem because he was a priest and the priest served in Jerusalem. And so, you know, you can imagine that, you know, seven times a year, Jesus as a faithful Jewish person, Joseph and Mary as faithful Jewish people, they go down to Jerusalem for the festivals or the feasts. And they're probably staying at the house of Zacharias and uh, Elizabeth. And so these kids grow up as, you know, second cousins or third cousins and they know each other growing up and their parents also remember that time before they were born when an angel appeared to both of them and told them, you know, separately told Elizabeth and Zacharias, hey, you're going to have a baby and this baby is going to be the one who is prophesied to prepare the way for the Lord by bringing people to repentance uh, in preparation for 
the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to come so that they'll receive him, so that they'll know they need a Savior, so that they'll receive him as Savior. And then, you know, an angel shows up to Mary and Joseph, of course, and says, hey, you're going to have this baby, and it's the, it's the Messiah, the one that's been prophesied forever. Right? And so all I'm saying with that is to say that these guys grew up knowing who they were. And so then when John sees Jesus coming, you know, it's, it's obvious that he's surprised. You know, he's like, wait a second, why am I baptizing you? This is a baptism for repentance. You should be baptizing me, you know. But then Jesus says, no, I, I want to submit. I want to obey and I want to set an example. So he gets baptized. You know, the father it says the father spoke from heaven and the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove. There you see a picture of the Trinity. Now, if you're not convinced that Jesus is the Messiah by that itself, I don't right, know what it would right. take, right? But then, so what is, what's going on there in Luke? Uh, what was the verse there? Luke 7. 7, uh, yeah, I think 19 or something like that. Yeah. Here's what's going on, <clears throat> is that Luke's having some doubts. And I think that's why it's so applicable. Because it's applicable to me and you. You know, there, there's probably a lot of our listeners, you know. You have these no, times. So Luke is the one that's um, uh, doubting or something like that. It's not John. No, no. I think it is John. No, it, it's absolutely John. So here's no, yeah, Luke's be, just telling the story. Yeah, yeah. Luke's so, just telling I the mean, story. So, so why, why, if he already knew that he was the Christ, why would he say, "Shall we? Are, are you the one, or shall we look for another?" Well, and that's the part that I'm saying is so applicable to me and you, and maybe a lot of our listeners, is that you'll have times mm -hmm. in your life where you say, "Man." All this evidence of God's existence, his love for me, his care for me. How could I ever deny that Jesus is who he says he is, that God is real? And then you'll have other times in your life where even after something incredible like that, where you might end up saying, man, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Is it is it really true? Is Jesus really the Savior? Is he my right, Savior? Right. And I think that's, that's what it's reflecting. Now, why did John doubt? I think that's... Um, also clear from the text. So the reason John doubted whether Jesus was the Messiah was because Jesus, in a lot of ways, didn't do the things that everybody expected the Messiah to do. And so well, I think that's that, why he sent. He told the disciples to send back word about how he's uh, done miracles and how he's risen the dead and casted out demons and everything. Exactly. And those weren't just like hey, I've done some miracles, here's some examples. Those specific things that he mentions there in John 7, or I'm sorry, Luke 7, that he's done, those were things which were prophesied about in the Old Testament that the Messiah would do. And the most incredible of those, uh, like for a, a person like John to hear, would be the one about um, healing lepers. I mean, raising the dead's a big deal, so maybe that, that might be the big one. But... Healing right. lepers was a big one because uh, up until the time of Jesus, you know, it was said that no one had ever been healed of leprosy. And then Jesus comes along and he heals people of leprosy. That would be a huge deal. That's like saying right. there's no cure for cancer and then this guy just came and cured cancer, right? Right, right. So, oh, um, yeah, and so, but I think that's really a good question you ask because it's so applicable. And that is this very important fact that even John the Baptist had had doubts, and with that, if yeah, John the I mean, Baptist, you wouldn't had doubts, think that. Like when you just got done saying about how 
he's seen the heavens open up and the the doves appearing and everything. And, you know, I mean, and just the Holy Spirit being upon him and everything like that, you would think that, you know, that that would seal the deal right there. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, and and I would just say this, you know, to you or maybe any of our listeners, you know, who have doubts, I would say, you know, having a having doubts is actually inherent to having faith. I'm actually teaching Hebrews chapter 11 and it begins with this phrase. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's that's the thing. Faith is when you go beyond what you can see and what you can know by reason and empirical knowledge and you you have to trust, right? And so um so for John the Baptist to doubt, that should give you and me some encouragement that, hey, when you have moments of doubt, <laughs> that even John yeah. the Baptist doubted. And they grew up together. And if anybody should have known that he was the Christ, it should have been John the Baptist. Right, right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I appreciate your insight and whatnot. And uh, God bless you. Awesome, Dustin. God bless you. Thanks for calling in. Okay. Bye-bye. Right, take care. Bye-bye. Let's go to Laverne in Fort Collins, Colorado. Hi, Laverne. Hi. Uh, I have a prayer request regarding a member of our church. Sure. Uh, he's uh, been diagnosed with an aggressive form of brain cancer, and he has started radiation plus chemo through pills. But uh, in the time that they took the first biopsy to even this current yesterday, it had grown an inch and a half already. So it's really an aggressive form of cancer. If uh, you could lift uh, this gentleman and his family up in prayer, I sure would appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's pray for him. Heavenly Father, we pray for uh, this friend, this uh, brother in Christ, Lord, uh, who's got brain cancer. Lord, we, we our hearts go out to him. We know that this life is fragile. We know it's short. We know that all of us, uh, unless you come back, we're all going to die. And uh, And so, Lord, I pray for this brother, first of all, that he would have the hope of eternal life, that he would know you. But, Lord, I also pray uh, for you to do a work of healing and um, restoration in his life. Lord, I pray that this cancer would be gone, that it would go away, that you would touch him and heal him by your grace, show your kingdom, and, and or show him mercy. Lord, I pray that your, your kingdom would be manifest in his life and that we would see a healing take place in his life, Lord, that uh, this cancer is rapid and as aggressive as it may be. Lord, I pray that you would remove it, Lord, that he would be healed. And we also pray, Lord, that you would give wisdom to the doctors, that the medicines would have their effect, Lord. Ultimately, you are the only one who can make these things happen. So we put this in your hands, and we ask, Lord, for your will to be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. God bless you, Laverne. All right, bye-bye. So this coming Sunday is Palm Sunday. And uh, for Palm Sunday at our church, we are doing a kind of two-part study. So first, Palm Sunday and Easter for Holy Week, we're doing a mini-series, which we call Rise Up, which the whole idea is that Jesus has risen to new life, and we can have new life in him and through him. And uh, and so we want to rise up to new life in Jesus. So this coming Sunday, we're going to be looking at Jesus' triumphal entry on Palm Sunday when he entered the city of Jerusalem. And he came in and he was welcomed as the Messiah and as king. And as we know, you know, only a few short days later, Jesus would be, he would be turned on uh, by 
the same people, many of the same people who welcomed him and sang his praises. And um, they, he would uh, then be crucified after that. But it's a very interesting thing. So one of the things I'll be talking about this Sunday, which I'm looking forward to, is um, I'm looking forward to in exploring this idea of how, you know, Jesus' disciples, they were confused because they thought, okay, the Messiah is supposed to be a king. And yet, how is it that Jesus told us that he's going to go up to Jerusalem and die? Maybe you remember the story. Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi up north by the Sea of Galilee. And they, the, him and his disciples, they were planning to go down to Jerusalem because that's what all Jewish people would do for the Feast of Passover every year. It was one of the three, what they call solemn feasts, when every able-bodied Jewish male would need to go to Jerusalem for the feast. And so Jesus and his disciples, they know that they're going to be heading up to Jerusalem to make this uh, fast Passover pilgrimage. And as, as they're about to go, Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to know that this, you know, we've made this trip to Jerusalem before, but this is going to be our last time. Because when we get up there, I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, and I'm going to be crucified. And on the third day, I'll rise again. Now they clearly, you know, didn't listen when he said that part about rising again because all they heard was he's going to suffer and die. And that's when Peter, his disciple, said, hey, hey, wait a minute, you know, stop all this negative talk. You know, you need to make some more positive affirmations, Jesus. This is depressing. And there's no way that you, if you're the Messiah, are going to suffer. So stop talking like this. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You know, you do not have your mind on the things of God. You, you are a hindrance to me. And so the, the disciples are super confused. How can it be that Jesus is the conquering king, and yet he is the suffering servant. And and one of the things I, I love looking at on Palm Sunday is how this is, that Jesus saves us through his suffering, that Jesus is our king and his greatness is found in his servant heart, that he's the humble king who rides into town on not on a white steed like Napoleon, but he he comes in on the back of a donkey saying that he's come in peace. And uh, And it's really interesting. You know, I think about, Revelation chapter 5, where John says, you know, he was in heaven and he's looking and he's asking, who is there who is able to open this scroll and loose the seals? And he asks the elders and they say, there he is, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He can open the seals. And then John says, and I looked. And who's he looking for? He's looking for the lion. And it says, what does he see? He says, I saw him as a lamb who had been slain from the foundations of the earth. And so with Jesus is the lamb who is a lion. He is the lion who is a lamb. He is the king who is the suffering servant. He is the humble king, and that is how he saves us. And one day he will come again, and he will reign forever. So anyway, I love Palm Sunday, and uh, I'm looking forward to preaching on it this Sunday. Let's go to David in Denver, Colorado. Hi, David. Hi. What's up? Hello? Hi, hey. what's up? <laughs> uh, I just had a quick question. Uh I, I wish I had the scriptures to back up my question. Um, I told myself I'd remember them, and then when I go to look for them, I don't remember where they're at. But okay. um, what, it, what my question is, what, what's the best way to glorify God in terms of helping others? Mm-hmm. Is it to do it humbly and in secret so he can only see, or is it uh, something that you should, you know, post on social media to try to influence others? Um, yeah. I don't want to, like, try to be boastful, you know, when you, when you help somebody. Because, you know, I'll find people um, downtown, and, and I'll pray for them, and, you know, I'll try to speak encouragement. But, you know, it's like 
with their permission, would I would I record something like that and 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 try to influence people, or is it just like you know, just continue just doing it humbly and, and in secret and what you know whatever? I I just I'm just trying to figure out what's the best way to go about it and what the, what the Bible says in terms of that. Yeah, well, let me give you a couple of scriptures, okay? So okay. I think the the most applicable one can be found in the Beatitudes. This is in what Jesus said. This is in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Here's what he says. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And he goes on to say, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house in the same way. And here's the key verse for you. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So this is really key. You know, um, here's basically what Jesus is saying. He's saying to his disciples, I am going to create a new community. You are that community and you will be like a city set on a hill for all the world to see and your good works will be the light of the world. Now it's interesting because another time Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Here he says, you as a Christian community and your good works will be the light of the world. So which is it? And the way it works is kind of like how the sun and the moon are both heavenly bodies that light up the sky, and yet the sun is the source of the light, and the moon simply reflects the light. It has no light of its own. So the Gospel of John, for yeah. example, in chapter 1, Jesus says, uh, well, it says about Jesus, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And so I think that's really important just to remember that uh, his life is the light of men, meaning uh, any light that we have is only a reflection of who he is. And that gets to your other question, what does it mean to glorify God and, and how do we glorify God? So let's define mm -hmm. that. Glory, the word glory, comes, I mean, it's a derivative of, of a word for light. So it means light. And so God's glory is God's light. It is that about God which is beautiful, which is, you know, brilliant and wonderful and good and true and when we glorify God all that means is that God's glory is already there we're not creating it we're not you know making it more than it is all we're doing is revealing what's already there and so that's our goal when we glorify God is just to have people see his glory his goodness his grace and so one of the ways that we do that is by reflecting who he is and letting other people see it Here's what I would tell you about the social media thing. I think there can be uh, an aspect where whether you're trying to do it to influence people or how, whatever reason you're doing it for, I think it can easily be misconstrued, both by people who might see that stuff on social media and by, um, by the people you're taking the video of. You know, I think there's a way in which, you know, if you, you know, I, I was a missionary for several years, uh, for over 10 years, and towards the end of our time there, especially, we worked with very poor people. And, you know, we always wanted to make sure that we protected their dignity, you know, that we never wanted to exploit their poverty for a newsletter or for something that that might do that. You know, we always wanted to encourage their dignity. Uh, we felt that mm -hmm. that was very important. And so I would encourage you in that, too. I think there can be a way in which even though it might not be your goal, where, you know, if you go down and you minister to people, let's say they're homeless or they're poor or, or for, you know, whatever situation they're in, if they're in a bad situation and you are 
it kind of, so to say, exposing that to the world, I don't think that's always wrong. I think there are times when that is absolutely right and necessary to open people's eyes. But I think generally the rule should be let's protect people's dignity. Let's not um, exploit their poverty by, you know, putting it out in the public. Just because that might be embarrassing for them. I think that that's important mm. that we protect people's dignity. So um, my advice to you would be this. I think that by what you are doing, you are already being light in the world. You are already reflecting God's goodness and his glory to people who you are ministering to, first of all, people who see you ministering to other people, and the people that you invite to go along with you. And I would just do that. I would keep it at that level. I would invite, invite maybe use social media to invite other people to join you in what mm. you're doing. So that way you're saying, hey, here's what I'm doing, and, and the reason I'm telling you about it is because I'd like to invite anyone to join me. You know, when I was... Um, teenager still in high school I got saved when I was 16 and then for about two and a half years I was part of a ministry to uh, the homeless in downtown Denver through Crossroads Church of Denver which was my home church and so I um, you know we would go down there this before social media of course but that was just one of the best things we could do was to invite people down there and say, okay, why don't you come down there and, and do this with us, you know, because we can always use more help. And plus, it, it just exposes them to what's going on with these people who are, you know, suffering in, in these different ways. So I would encourage you yeah. that way. I, I'd stay away from video personally because I think that it kind of exploits people's poverty. No, yeah, I, I understand that. I'm very considerate, and that's why I was calling it. I, I, I agree with you on that. I, I wouldn't. You know, there's, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of way to help people um, mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, if, if it were, you know, it, I mean, just people in general. But, I, you know, I, I get it, you know, just to be cautious. And, and it, I mean, everybody receives things differently. And so um, I just want to be as effective as possible. But, you know, sometimes I get impatient and you know, I, 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 I see what you're saying. Though. Yeah. Well, hey, yeah. man, let me pray yeah. for you and uh, and the things you're sure. doing because it sounds like you're doing an awesome thing, and I appreciate your heart wanting to do it well and wanting to, you know, honor people. So let's pray for you. Heavenly yeah. Father, I pray for um, David, and I ask, Lord, that you would give him guidance as he seeks to reach out in your name and minister to people. Lord, I pray that you would anoint him, that he would just have an effective ministry, and I pray that truly it would help people to come to know you and to find in you that dignity which you seek to restore, the dignity that's been destroyed by sin, but, Lord, which you seek to restore as you come into their life and build them up. So I pray, Lord, that people through his ministry would get to know you and that you would really bless him in everything that he does. I pray you'd add workers alongside him to come along and be part of that ministry he's doing and give him guidance in how to best raise awareness. So, Lord, we pray that you would do a good work through him and his ministry, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, thanks for calling in, man. God bless you. Hey, God bless. Thank you. All right. You're listening to Calvary Live. We are coming up on our mid-show break, so we're going to take a two-minute break, just in a one minute here. Again, the number to call, we've got all open lines right now, so if you call in during the break, we'll get you on on the other side. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Again, my name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is a church in Longmont, Colorado. 
and uh, I, I host for you every Monday, but today I'm filling in for Pastor Eric Cartier. Let's see, we've got one minute to the break. I'll go to, I got a couple quick text questions that I can answer real quick. I know one question came in yesterday. Somebody was asking what school I went to, and uh, Ed Taylor texted me today. He said he wasn't sure what school I went to, um, and so somebody had asked about it on the air yesterday. So if you're listening, I would be happy to tell you about my schools. I, went, I studied theology in the University of Gloucestershire in England in my undergrad, and I'm doing postgraduate work at the London School of Theology, which are both uh, evangelical theological seminaries in England. And the reason I did it over there is because I was a missionary in Hungary, as I mentioned to our previous caller, uh, for many years. I started my studies over there and uh, have continued them. I really like the English system. And and I think even for Americans, if there's any of you looking for a good seminary, I do recommend London School of Theology. Got a bunch of Americans in my group that I'm studying with and uh, just a great school and very biblical and Jesus-centered. So, all right, we are going to be back in just a minute after the break. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, on the air with you today, taking your calls and texts. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible, um, questions that have come up in your reading, things you might want some help uh, understanding, or if there's something going on in your life uh, or a prayer request that you have, we'd love to hear from you and pray for you. The number to call is 303 Excuse me, that's 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. We have two open lines right now, so it's a really good time to call in. Before we go to our next caller, I just want to take the opportunity while I've got you here. If you are in the Longmont, Colorado area, we'd love to have you join us at Whitefields Community Church. That's the church that I pastor in Longmont this coming Sunday for Palm Sunday and then for Easter. For Easter, we're going to be doing two services. So usually our service is at 10 o'clock, but we're going to be having a 9 o'clock service and a 10.30 service. And for directions, address, all that good stuff, check us out online, whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. Let's go over to our call-in line. We've got Bobby in Thornton, Colorado, on line one. Hi, Bobby. Hey, Pastor. How are you today? Doing great. What's up? I was gonna. I was listening to one of the comments you made about the story about the prodigal son. How you, how you focused on the the bro, the brother that actually stood with the dad. Now, as far as the brother that left, could that be in common with the story about the one sheep that gets away from the ninety nine? Would you be able to? Would that be the same thing? You know, something in common with that story? Yeah, absolutely. It's in the same chapter, and so. Uh, and so here's what Jesus does. He's just such a good teacher, right? So here's what Jesus is doing. Uh, let's begin the whole section. This is in Luke chapter 15, and he tells three parables, one after the other. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the prodigal son. So here's the very first, and the, you got to really understand these very first two verses, which set up everything that comes after them. Okay. So it says, uh, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled and said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. 
And so he told this parable. So this is what Jesus does. He starts with the parable of the lost sheep. And he says, hey, you know, if you had 100 sheep and you lost one of them, uh, would, would you go after it? And, and this is what's interesting. I mean, if you think about this from a, a basis, like, okay, if you lost 1% of your, you know, flock, would you leave the 99 and go after the one? I mean, we, we tend to think because, you know, this parable is so ingrained in us as our culture and in Christianity that this is a really good thing to do, to leave the 99 and go after the one. I'm just going to say, like, from a business perspective, it's probably not the best thing to do. Right? Like right. you wouldn't leave 99 sheep without a shepherd because sheep, man, they are dumb. They don't do well without a shepherd. Like they, you never see a flock of wild sheep roaming around in the wild, right? Because they don't survive in the wild. They need a shepherd. And so it doesn't right. actually make a whole lot of sense to leave the 99 and go after the one. And this is really just pointing out to us how radical the commitment is that God has to those who have gone astray that he would do something so radical as to leave the 99 to go after the one. That's not a normal thing to do. Right. I think that's, that's the thing that many people miss. So, but get, to get back to my main point, here's, what, here's what's going on there. Jesus is saying, okay, you know, God is like a, a shepherd who would leave the 99 to go find that one. That's how much he cares about sinners and those who have gone astray. Then okay. he tells a parable of a lost coin. And his point is this, that, you know, a woman loses, she has 10 silver coins, she loses one coin, and she searches for it diligently. That's what God does. He's the God who seeks after us. He's not just, like, fine with it. If you, you know, sometimes I'll hear pastors say that. They'll be like, hey, you know, God gives you a chance to be saved, but if you don't want it, then that's cool. Like, he's right. fine with that. I'm, I think this parable is saying he's not fine with that. Like, he's, he's not fine with it at all. Okay. He's so not fine with it that he sent his son. He he became one of us and uh, and died. You know. So in other words, he is the God who doesn't just put it out there, but he's the God who seeks. Okay. And then then so finally, and so this is what Jesus is doing. He's setting them up because you know he gives them these two parables and he says, "Hey man, God loves people who've gone astray. God is committed. God rejoices. He searches for those who have gone astray." And then he tells them this pr parable of prodigal son, where he's like. Hey, you know, and God even loves this guy who insulted him. You know, it, when you insult him, when you go and you, you are prodigal and you spend all, you know, you, you just waste your life on licentious living and all this stuff. And, and then when you come back, God receives you back. And they're like, all right, all right, we get the point. But then this is what Jesus is doing. He was just telling them all that stuff in a way, like not just he for, the, for the purpose of what it was, but what they don't realize is that he was setting them up because then okay. he turns the corner at the very end of the chapter in verse 25. And he says, now there was an older son in the field. And then right. he's talking about them. He's saying, guess what? God loves sinners. God goes after sinners. God is committed to sinners. But you know what? You need salvation just as much, if not more than those guys. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, that's that's that opens my eyes to that that those parables because you know you brought it out in a whole different way to make me see it the way it's basically said or written. Mm. I thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah, and you know, hey, for you and anybody else listening, um, that was something that I too had my eyes open to by somebody else. And um, so originally, Charles Spurgeon wrote a sermon called 
the prodigal God. And then uh, Timothy Keller wrote a book a couple of years back called, and it's based on a series of sermons he did, called The Prodigal God. But originally, okay. even Timothy Keller's sermons were based off of Charles Spurgeon's sermons. And that term prodigal, we tend to think of it as wayward, right? That the word prodigal okay. means wayward. Right. But prodigal is a very interesting word because in its original, you know, in its original English, what the word prodigal means isn't so much wayward as somebody who is extravagant in their spending. So that's what the okay. prodigal son was. He took this inheritance, which his father was obviously a landowner, very wealthy person. I mean, so right. we're probably, let's say we're talking about a million dollars. I don't know how much it was, but let's imagine million dollars and he somehow blew through a million dollars right right and so he was prodigal in the sense that he was extravagant he lived extravagantly but charles spurgeon and then tim keller picked up on this idea and they said the word prodigal means not wayward it means extravagant and therefore this story isn't so much about the extravagant son as it is about the extravagant grace of god so that's see. what they they use the term prodigal God, is that's what it okay. refers to. Well, that's a, um, like I said, I'm glad that I, I, I'm really glad that I heard you say that and then to call in, because sometimes you hear something and you take it into your own way of thinking. And, uh, I, you know, I love that about the Lord. I mean, He wants you to, with these parables, He wants us to think about it. You know, there, it's almost like there's more than one way to interpret something or look at something. And Absolutely. I'm glad I called. You just, I just, you made my day. Awesome, man. Hey, God bless you. All right. God bless you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm with you today taking your calls and texts on the air. We have all open lines right now. We've got a couple text messages. We'll go over our text line in just a second. But uh, I love to talk to callers. So if you want to call in, we'll get you on the show. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720 That's 720-336-0897. And just uh, in response to that last caller, I would encourage any of you listening Go in and look up that Charles Spurgeon. You can just Google it. All Charles Spurgeon stuff is, um, you know, public domain. And so you can go in and search that Charles Spurgeon sermon, The Prodigal God. And also, um, or it might be called The Prodigal Father. I don't remember exactly how he titled it. But then also, I do recommend Timothy Keller's book, The Prodigal God. It's just so good at explaining that parable and, and showing the gospel. So let's go over to our text line. We're waiting for the calls to come in again. The call-in line is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. see. On the, call, on the text line, we've had a few calls, or a few texts come in. I'll just answer a few real quick. One says, uh, if your spouse is saved, does that mean that you're automatically saved? Because the two become one? And the answer is absolutely not. So I hope it, uh, whoever texts us in is listening. No, I'm sorry, but it's not a two-for-one deal. Now, when it talks about being uh, one flesh, um, that does not apply to you being saved. So I'm going to tell you one of the best places to go for understanding this is, uh, I'll give you two places. One is 1 Corinthians chapter, I believe it's chapter 7. I'm just uh, 
trying to remember off of memory <clears throat> right now, but Luke chapter 7, and Paul speaks to people whose spouses have left them because they have become believers. In fact, it would seem that Paul the Apostle was at one time married because he was a member of the Sanhedrin, and that was a requirement for being a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling Jewish religious council. And so if Paul the Apostle was a member of Sanhedrin, that would necessitate him being married. And it would almost seem that uh, he was married at one time and his spouse then left him because he became a Christian. Which it seems that this was something that was happening quite a lot in the early church. And, uh, and of course, it still does happen to this day. So the answer is this. If, you know, if Paul's uh, spouse was, would have been saved through him being saved, then why did she leave him? So clearly she wasn't saved through him being saved. But I will also tell you this, Deuteronomy, uh, well, I'm oh, sorry, I don't want to stop there. I just want to say the New Testament also advises uh, particularly uh, wives who have unbelieving husbands to, um, to live in such a way that their husbands will be influenced by them. They'll see their faith. They'll see their actions and that they'll be influenced towards faith in Christ. That they'll be basically warmed up to faith in Christ through their uh, believing spouse's actions. But in no way does he say that you would be saved just because your spouse is saved. Another one is um, another one is in Deuteronomy. I think that's also one of the great places to go in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy, Moses is speaking to the up-and-coming generation, the, the new generation. Their parents are the ones who came out. You know, they, they experienced the Passover. They went through the Red Sea on dry land. They received the law at Mount Sinai. They traveled in the wilderness, and they died in the wilderness. And during that time, there was a new generation that was born. And now this new generation is about to cross the Jordan River and enter into the land of promise. So that's, at the, that's what Deuteronomy is about. It's a speech that Moses gave at the end of his life for these people who are about to enter into the promised land. And so there in that uh, speech, Moses continually says, the Lord, your God, the Lord, your God. And at the end of the, day, end of the chapter, he says, look, I set before you today death and life, blessing and curse. Choose today which you will choose. And the reason for Deuteronomy is because of this. He's telling them, look, just because your parents, just because you were born in a believing family, that's not enough. You have to have faith of your own. You have to have real, living, true, personal faith in God. And, and it, you can't ride on anybody else's coattails. Not your parents, and, I, and in response to this question, not your spouse either. You need to have real, living faith. You need to have, you need to answer that question. I set before you today, life and death, blessing and curse. Which one will you choose? You need to put your faith in Jesus yourself. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you for the text. Let's go to our call online. We have a few calls come in. Let's go to Ann. Hi, Ann. Yes. Or Anna. I'm sorry. Hi. Hi. I have a quick question. So um, I've been separated now for 11 years um, from my husband, and um, I have struck these 11 years, I've struggled with um, seeing myself remarry and I know in the scripture it says it's okay to remarry um, you know when there is infidelity which was our case um, but it I th I've struggled with with many I don't know if it's excuses of my own or 
or why I just can't seem to to make that commitment again. Um, and the the greatest the greatest thing is is parenting. Like, is there anything in the Bible that I may be able to um, look into where if like how do you co-parent with a person who is not the child's biological parent? Yeah, you know, I don't know of anything in the Bible that speaks to co-parenting. Okay. Um, I will tell you uh, one example, and that is that the Bible does have a ton to say about adoption. And so I realize it's not always the same as co-parenting because, you know, that may be in your case or in, you know, other listeners' case, it might be that they're divorced and, uh, you know, the child's other parent still wants to be involved in their life. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the greatest examples we have of adoption, so first of all, we see adoption like um, with Joseph, the father of Jesus. In a way, he's Jesus' stepfather because it's not his own seed, so to say, and yet mm-hmm. he raised Jesus as his own son. And we, you know, honor him and revere Joseph for for doing that, raising this son as his own, knowing that, you know, that this is the son of God, right? This is God's own son, and and he raises him as his stepson and, you know, gives him his name and, and treats him as his own and teaches him a trade. And so I think maybe that itself might be the closest example to what we have of a step-parent in the Bible. Um, but otherwise, we have this picture of adoption as being a, an amazing picture of the gospel, where you say this, God says, you who were not my own, I will make you my own. And so I think that it can be a beautiful picture of the gospel when it's done well. Okay. All right. Um Thank you so much. That yeah. that does help um, a little. Okay. <laughs> I, I guess um, just in closing, maybe um, we could just pray that God give me peace in that area yeah. um, because I struggle a lot with um, trying to let another person come in and be a step parent, and I think I seem to be just pushing them away because I don't feel that they are being, you know, just the appropriate step-parent that I want for my children. Yeah, and I think that that's a fair thing. I mean, I don't know your exact situation, but I think that that's really, really good of you to want to care about your child that much, you know, to say that this isn't only about me and me wanting to have companionship, but I realize that this is going to affect the life of my children, and so therefore I'm going to be very thoughtful and careful about who I allow to parent them. I think that that is absolutely uh, the kind of heart that God has. It's a servant's heart, and the servant's heart says not only what can I get out of a situation, but but you know they think of others in the situation. So I just want to commend you for that. I want to tell you that I think your heart is in the right place, and I'd love to pray for you. So, Thank you. Yeah. Heavenly Father, I pray for Anna, and I pray for her children. And I pray, Lord, uh, for the situation as she seeks your will for her life as to whether or not she should marry, whether or not she should bring another person into her home to be co-parenting with her. And uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you give her so much clarity 
And I pray that truly she would be led and hear from you and your spirit as to particular people. And um, Lord, I thank you for her heart, for her kids. I pray that truly they would be blessed. And Lord, if you do lead in that way, I pray, Lord, really that it would be a spiritual person. I pray that it would be a godly person who understands the gospel and who is pursuing you wholeheartedly and has the child's best interest in mind as well. Lord, I I know that uh, if there is a person for her, I, I believe that you'll direct her to the right person, but I ask that she would be patient and that she would hear you and sense your guidance in that. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thanks for calling in. God bless. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado with you today. Let's go to line two. We've got Susan on the line. Hi, Susan. Hi, how are you this afternoon? Doing well. Um, I was uh, listening to you on the way home from work um, the last Thursday or the Thursday before last, and someone had called in regarding using our God-given authority to cast out demons. Mm-hmm. And I wanted your viewpoint on that. Yeah, so here's what I would say. I would say that we see that with Jesus and his disciples, that he did give them authority. And we read this like in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 10, that -hmm. Jesus sent out his disciples and gave them authority to cast out demons. And so, Mm -hmm. but then we got to balance that also with Jude chapter 1, because there's only one chapter in Jude, where he talks Mm -hmm. about uh, not being presumptuous. And Mm -hmm. uh, he talks, he commends, Michael, the archangel, for not speaking directly to the devil, but saying, the Lord rebuke you, as opposed to saying, mm-hmm. I rebuke you. Mm-hmm. He says that Michael did the right thing because he wasn't presumptuous and he understood mm-hmm. his place and he understood that he himself uh, only can stand on the authority of of God. So, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I was, this is of what I have been taught and the books that I have read uh, stated that um, upon becoming Christians, were given the authority to cast out demons. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't argue with that. I just think that we got to keep that with the um, the balance that we see mm-hmm. in Jude, which tells mm-hmm. us to not be presumptuous, not to forget mm-hmm. our place, basically. Right, and I know we uh, we're not doing it on our own power. Mm-hmm. Um, based on what? Okay, and I'm still not quite understanding. Um, what do you mean by presumptuous? I've heard people use the word, and it's it's witchcraft even. Um, the, one of the first churches I uh, went to when it was brought up stated, you know, you, 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 know, you have received the authority. Use your God-given authority. I had demons banging around in my basement, and it was my first time in there, and they said, use your authority. Tell those demons to get out of your house. And... I went home that evening and, you know, and they were gone. You know, I never heard the banging at night again. Yeah. So here's uh, here's what I would just remind you of in that. I think that what is saying in Jude would lead us to believe that he's saying that we shouldn't be. And this is what I told the caller last Thursday, too. Is that I don't really think we have any business speaking directly to demons on our own authority. And I think that's really mm-hmm. what Jude is saying. He's saying that Michael, the archangel, didn't speak to the devil on his own authority. He spoke it and said, he didn't say, I rebuke you. He said, the Lord rebuke you. So I think it's just, right. that's what I mean by presumption is not thinking that, uh, I mean, I really don't really think that we have any business speaking to demons directly. I think mm-hmm. that uh, we ask the Lord to do that. 
Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. And what about, okay, so are you saying that I was wrong and, you know. I, in the name I don't of- know if you're wrong. I would say that in the future, this is my recommendation based on how I read the scriptures and especially Jude, is to say, yeah, mm-hmm. I do believe that there's a, an authority that is given, like we see in Luke chapter 9 and 10. But I think mm-hmm. that it's an authority which is Jesus's authority. So we ask him to do that work. That's all I'm saying. Right, so. and that wouldn't wouldn't that be a prayer saying in Jesus's name, like any other prayer um, yeah. that we ask, like for healing and Absolutely. for any other thing that we ask him. We always ask. We're asking him. Yes, absolutely. So it was so uh, so it's okay to pray in Jesus's name. It's not just okay. That's uh, advisable. You should absolutely do that. <laughs> okay, right. okay, because I've been receiving messages that it's witchcraft, and you know, yeah, and that's this is not what the, I'm this is the second time that I've heard it, and it was a long time ago with someone else, and they brought up the, the in the Bible where the Pharisees or um, I don't I'm not a good uh, where they've cast out demons and Ed they said I don't recognize you, you know, when they um, possessed them. And that's when they, so, um, and I, the point I drove home to him was that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in Christians, you know, in us, and they were Mm non-believers. Okay. Yeah, that's speaking to, uh, speaking, you're speaking about Acts chapter 19, seven sons of Sceva, and these Mm -hmm. are people who didn't know Jesus. They said, we, hey, we know Paul, we know Jesus, but who are you? You know, right, so. right, and I'm not. I, you know, I, I'm not. So thank you for. So yeah. what? That was Acts. Nineteen. Nineteen. Okay. So then this cool. is the second time it's been brought up. See the. Um, but he was just someone that um, I met, and he had, you know, had, had given me the Bible, and he was trying to. Um, I discovered that he was a false prophet. Okay. He was trying to lead me in the wrong direction on on a lot of different things. Susan, I'm going to uh, interrupt you because i got two more callers I really want to get to, and okay. we've got five, four minutes left. So, Ami, uh, I, Susan, I pray that God leads you into all truth, and uh, thank you for your question. Okay. okay God thank bless you. you. All right. Thanks. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Let's go to our next caller. We're going to try and hit these two last callers before the end of the show. Let's go to Max. Hi, Max. Hello. Hey. Yes. Um, so um, my question is... Um, I actually have two questions, but we don't have enough time. I'll call back next time. Good. So my question is, Jesus Jesus said to uh, the crowd, um, truly I tell you, some of you will not taste death until the Son of Man come in his glory. Now, what does he mean by that? Yeah, so that is found in three places. And yes. is found in... So in in all the synoptic gospels, right? So those are the ones that kind of parallel each other. So that would be yes. Luke chapter nine. It's found in Matthew chapter sixteen, and it's found yes. in Mark chapter nine as well. And I think you know that could be a bit confusing because some people say, "Well, did he mean that he was going to come back before yes. they died?" Which in which yeah. case that would not be true because they are now dead and he has not yet come back. Uh, sure. And the answer to that question would be that. In each of these cases, he's saying that before his transfiguration, which is when his glory was shown on the earth. And so he okay. goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he's, his glory is revealed to his three closest disciples. And so in each of those cases, it would seem that what that 
sentence he says is setting up is that he's saying, hey, there's some of you who will not taste death before you see the Son of Man come in his glory. And then these three right after that all get to see him in his glory. So that would be, that'd be I think, the, the most, uh, you know, okay. the answer that makes the most sense. Okay. Yeah, I was uh, pondering that for a while. I just could wrap my head around it or somebody's going to live forever or um okay that okay thank you for clarifying that Do yeah we my have pleasure oh i think i lost you okay you're listening to calvary live we'll let's try and go to this last call let's go to terry in lancaster pa hi terry hi how you doing doing well i've got one minute do you think we can do it i'll try okay <laughs> um it's mark uh, chapter 10, verse 15. All right. Uh, it talks about, um, Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Yes. And I was reading that a couple nights, and I, uh, I'm i not really sure what that meant, because as a child, salvation, if you accept salvation as a young child, uh, sometimes you don't always understand it because you're so young. Right. So here's what I'll tell you. He's not faith, referring to... And their faith, too. Uh, your faith grows as you grow older. So right. I, I really didn't know what that verse meant. Okay. I think I can do this one with you. I got 50 seconds, and I think I can get this in. Here's, here's the answer. He's not referring to it in chronology, in the sense of, like, you know, when you are a child by age. He's saying to do it, receive the kingdom of God as a child receives things. Think about how children are with their parents. They, you know, my children never stress over whether there's going to be dinner on the table because they just inherently trust that dad's going to take care of it. It means to have the heart and the spirit of a child, not to be childish, meaning foolish. Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I act like a child, but now that I'm grown, I've left childish ways behind me. And, uh, and so there's, uh, my answer is that to receive it with the heart of a child, with the okay. trusting heart of a child. So we have reached the end of the show. God bless you. Thank you for calling in. You've been listening to Calvary Live. I'll be with you again on Monday.